Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with leadership coach for lawyers, Ben Grimes. After a career in public service and leadership, he decided to share his vision of leader development with others. He believes each of us has the ability to unlock the confidence to lead with trust, transparency, empathy, and passion. And finding the courage to do so will create both professional success and personal growth. He's got a great story. Enjoy. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time and setting this all up. Absolutely. Yeah, my pleasure. You got a very interesting story. And uh, so where are you coming out of? Uh, I am in Alexandria, Virginia, outside of D.C. Okay, cool. Very cool. You're in Chicago, right? I'm in Kansas City. Kansas City. Yeah. Yeah. So are you a football fan? No. I I, I wish I could say I was. (laughs) That's all good. It's all good. Well, hey, man, it's great to meet you. And I want to begin everything here before we get into your work. Mm-hmm. by asking you, how did you survive the last three years with COVID? How did you get through that time period and how has it changed you? Oh, that's an interesting question. That's a really interesting question. Um, it was uh, kind of professionally, it was a revelation uh, about how effective um, I and, and other folks I could work, I, I work with could be working remotely. Um, it was certainly a challenge to stay connected um, kind of personally and professionally, but but that really is uh, an element of um, intention, I think. And but really, the biggest the biggest impact for me was not so much the pandemic, but it was rather um, everything arising out of the George Floyd murder. I mean, I'll be honest with you um, that that was the biggest impact for me personally because it was it it changed the way I saw myself. Really, I mean, honestly, that's that was the biggest thing for me over the last three, four years. I think the thing that was interesting about the pandemic is, is there was all these things that were happening, especially in America. The car was already teetering on the edge of the cliff. Yeah. Okay. Then you lock everybody up and it kind of becomes this class war. And then all these things are getting sent to us in, in a bad way. And Mm -hmm. it's like, no one can trust anybody. It was the perfect storm for chaos to ensue. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was a really I think it was challenging for a lot of people, like you suggest, to 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 deal with all of these things in isolation. Right. I mean, like all of these challenges, whether they are health related or class related or finance related or um, like international relations and politics, like the, the, the in- increasing stratification of politics, all of that to have to deal with alone. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a real. I think that was a challenge for a lot of us. So during that time when all of this was happening, you know, when COVID happened, I I primarily did jazz radio at the time. I really ramped up and reached out more and more. And I just was randomly going through iTunes, finding musicians. And I found mm-hmm. this young guy in Minneapolis. His name is David Billingsley. So I sent him a note and he comes back and he was like, I just sent notes to like 500 radio stations. And somehow you sent me a note. So it was kismet, man. So we hook up, we interview, and I sent him the interview, the final interview. He was really excited about it. I sent it to him about a day or two after all of that happened with George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Now he's up there, okay? Yeah, yeah. So I start reading his post, and it's getting real dark. So I just called him up, and I said, David, I don't know where you're at right now, you know, and I'm just some white guy in Kansas City that interviewed you. And you're this young African-American guy that's trying to make a point. I said, stay in there. I said, you're giving a lot to people. He had like 
inner city music programs and all this, but I just saw the darkness slipping in. Mm -hmm. I said, you don't just whatever you need to do. You're helping a lot of people out. You're doing something that's going to blot out the blight of what we just saw. And he ended up signing a a CD and sending it to me a few weeks later and said, you really helped pull me kind of up out of that. You know, but I just felt, you know, I just felt like, you know, because he was putting up things where it's like, I can't even go to Target and get anything. They're looting everything. Things are on fire. It's like he was in the middle of chaos, you know, and I could just sense and feel it. But anyway, it was that was kind of a personal connection that I had to that moment where it's like, if I can help somebody out, feel like they have worth, because at that point, everything he was just went away. Didn't yeah. matter if he was a musician, didn't matter what his reach was. He was like, this is wrong. We are in a moment of wrong. And I get yeah. it. But it was like, dude, we things pass, things get better. We all have to learn from things. But I, I tried to, you know, do my part with him. But anyway, he's he's a cool cat, man. He has more albums that are out. He's doing his thing. It, it's good. Well, that's so. awesome. That's awesome. And it really speaks to like the idea of connection. Yeah. Um, I mean, it really that's a really, really powerful example. Yeah, it was, it was a good thing for sure. So let's get to the essence of what you're doing. You're doing a lot of powerful things. I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of third graders at a career day. One of the kids looks up and says, what do you do for a living? How do you answer them? Yeah. I, I tell them that I help people take care of other people in more effective ways. I, I'm, I make the world of leadership and lawyering a more humane place so that people want to come to work. They want to take care of their clients. And when they walk away, they are happier and just better people. And I think we need that because a lot of people do look at the profession of of lawyers and how we litigate in this country is almost yeah. like a politician. There's just this murky layer of like, who are you going to trust and what's the gray area mean and how all that transpires? Yeah, that, that's it, you're absolutely right. It, and it's a real shame because... I, I I really believe that the profession of law is one of the foundations of our civil society. Like I, I know this like kind of very high minded of me and like kind of um, uh, a very utopian kind of view of the legal practice. But I really believe that, um, you know, our system is built on laws. Laws require lawyers to help it all work and and make sense. And if we if we are raising a generation of lawyers in the model of kind of grasping for money and influence and power and not taking care of the people around them and their clients and, the, and society at large, then we're, we're just doing the wrong thing. So how did this journey begin for you? Where were you born and raised? How did you get law kind of in your bones? How did it happen? Yeah, I, it was an accident. Um, I was born and raised in York, Pennsylvania home of the peppermint patty um, yeah. in central Pennsylvania. Uh, it's also the home of York barbell. So like very like down to earth, um, small, small city, um, central Pennsylvania. And um, I grew up the oldest of four kids raised by a single parent social worker. So not with a lot. And when it was time for me to get out of high school and go to co- look at college, I knew I was going to go to college. I really didn't know how to pay for it. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I just didn't understand legal aid. And so I was looking for places that I could go for free. <laughs> and I applied to West Point um, primarily because it was free. And I, I got in. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to, to get an appointment to West Point and got in. I got in early admission and never applied anywhere else. Wow. 
um, I figured out uh, that I, I figured I, I had my my free college lined up. And so this, the, what else is there to look for? And so I, I ended up in the Army um, after I graduated from West Point and had a service commitment to the Army of five or six years, I guess six years at the time. And um, I figured I was just going to do that. And I did that. And I was a helicopter pilot. It was great fun. But uh, a few years into into that, I realized I wasn't going to be able to be a helicopter pilot forever. Um, you know, you can fly as a, as an officer, um, you can fly for a little bit, but then you start becoming a staff guy and now you're doing personnel and resourcing and logistics. And about the same time, I realized I wasn't going to be able to fly forever. I heard about a program that the army has that pays for law school for about two dozen officers every year. Yeah. And I figured if I was going to be a staff officer in the future, I should be the staffiest staff officer around um, and applied for this program, got the army to pay for law school for me, which added a further service commitment. And so I just kind of like kept staying in the army because it was a great place and great opportunities for me to keep doing things that I enjoyed. And it turned into a 20 year career. Um I spent most of my time as a military attorney. And when I got out, I went to the D- Department of Justice and what I found, even though I was continuing in that public service um, vein that I really uh, enjoyed, I really think that everybody owes a little bit of public service. Um, I gave a lot and because it was important to me. But what I found was I was missing the opportunity that I had had in the army to help other people grow and blossom as leaders. And so I uh, opened up this coaching practice in order to do that, in order to keep giving back um, to other people, to give back to the legal community, which I, as I said, I, I see as really vital to our community and to do something, you know, what I get out of it, I really get the enjoyment of helping people grow as leaders and step into new opportunities of, of uh, responsibility. You know, it's interesting you say public service. It really does do good. Like, you know, every year Obama's very big on MLK Day of having everybody do a day of service. It's always mm-hmm. been a residual with them. But I always think about Israel, too. Everybody's, you know, they're supposed to join. And I think if we all did in this country more, I think we would understand the plight and blight of vets, of what they go through. I think we would have a better, broader understanding of what we do and don't do with military military might and what we do and don't do with vets after they've served their country. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a lot to learn about what it means to be in the military. And even even further than even even on top of that, I think that there's also an opportunity to learn about each other in ways yeah. that would um, kind of mitigate or moderate some of the differences that that we see when everybody's giving back to the communal good. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's a lot harder to find fault with the guy you know next door. It's that JFK quote: "Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country." That kind of mindset, you know, yeah. Yeah. because everybody just kind of waits for the handout, so to speak, not, 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 not in a broad sense, but in general, it's like, what are you doing for me? But there's got to be a level of give back too. It's just the circle of karma, you know? So. And and there is, there is a lot, there's, there's a lot to be gained personally from giving back to other people. Uh, And and I think it's, I think a lot of people grow up without that appreciation um, of, of how much you can actually gain from giving back to others. So before we depart the third grade, what did you want to be when you were in the third grade? <laughs> uh, 
I think that, you know, I'll be honest, I might have wanted to be a helicopter pilot um, in the third grade. Um, that that uh, aspiration, I think, left me for a while um, in between. I think like like a lot of kids, I wanted to be a marine biologist and I wanted to be an astronaut. And uh, I think the other thing is I wanted to be a teacher um, yeah. and uh, teaching is something that I still enjoy doing. I've had opportunities to do that professionally. It's something I still enjoy doing. Um, but I definitely nowhere on my radar was being a lawyer until I went to law school. Wow. That's wild. So who's been a hero for you in your life? Um, I, I've had a couple, uh, a couple heroes. Um, and, and for me, heroes are not, are generally not big name people. Um, my heroes are the people that I want to be and uh that i aspire to be and i think that i can be if i try really hard like i'm not going to be um you know i i'm not going to be the president right so so presidents are not my heroes um i'm not going to be uh, a billionaire i you know is it possible maybe but but is it really something that that i really think i can be no um for me heroes are much closer to me and they're folks who have been in and out of my life um and so one of my heroes is a guy who nominally worked for me um, in the army. Um, his name is uh, Sergeant Major Johnny Provost. Um, he's retired from the army. He's up in Alaska and he's the leader that I wanted to be when he worked for me. Um, and, and it really speaks to the idea of leadership at all levels. And you don't have to be in charge to be a leader. And uh, Johnny was really um, a caring, thoughtful, passionate leader who really believed in in taking care of other people. And it was a model that I really have tried to follow personally. And all of the all of the folks um, in my life, all of my heroes like that, who I want to be, that that's why. Yeah. So if you can meet anybody alive on the planet right now and spend some time with them, who do, who would it be? Hmm. Interesting question. Um, I think right now, it, you know, I'm, I'm kind of um, a, a bit of a fanboy for Adam Grant. Um, he, he's a really interesting thinker about organizational psychology. Um, he's thought about and talked with um, a, an amazing array of um, luminaries in, in the world of psychology and, and leadership and organizational thought. And I think that um, he would be an interesting person to, I'd, I'd really like, I, I think I would really enjoy nerding out with him about, uh, about leadership and, and how to, how to grow strong organizations that have, that operate from values. So he obviously has a lot of motivation. He's an inspiration for you. What is the motivation for you? What makes you do the work you do? Get out of bed, accomplish what you want to get done in a day. Uh, I, I, I really, I, I get up and do this because I really believe in the value of taking care of people as a leader. Like you, as a leader, your, your job is you, you have responsibilities to make decisions and set directions, but you've got an obligations to take, to take care of people. And 
I want to take care of my clients and, and enable them to take care of the people that they are responsible for. And so when I think about leadership positions, it's not positions of authority, it's positions of responsibility. Yeah. And um, I, I think framing a leadership position in that way or the obligation of leadership as a as an obligation of responsibility to other people, to your organization, changes the way you approach the tasks and the day-to-day nitty-gritty of leadership. When we talk about um, delegation of work or supervision or giving feedback or how to manage conflict, if you... you're going to approach those all of those granular challenges differently if you're thinking about it as a position of authority rather than a position of responsibility. And I think if we come at it from a position of responsibility, the way we lead changes and uh, becomes a lot more effective at, at building teams and 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 just generally increasing everybody's well-being. So everything you've accomplished in your life up to this point, what are you the proudest of? Oh man. what am i the proudest of um you know i'm the proudest of not so much the things that i've done but the man that i've become because of them um, you know, I, I've done some hard things. I've done some challenging things. I've overcome, um, some challenges in, uh, in my personal life as well. And, um, it, it's not so much having done those things. It's, uh, I'm very proud of what those things have, have enabled me to become as a person. Yeah. Um, and that is, uh, I think a thoughtful, caring, introspective, um, leader uh, and i do think of myself as as a leader in my being like that's who i am um it's not because of any position that i hold or have held and and i think that's important because when we when we start thinking of ourselves in the being sense and not the doing sense i mean, you know i don't do leadership i don't do coaching i am a coach i am a leader and um i i'm very proud of of having really um, absorbed that sense of being and and made it who I am, not just what I do. Yeah. So let's say you have a dream tonight. You run into a 20-year-old version of yourself, and you could give that young version of you a piece of advice (laughs) based on what you've learned and the wisdom you've gained in your life. What would you tell that young version of you? I would tell me, at that time and 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 20 year old me was struggling um 20 year old me was uh, a cadet at west point um but i was a cadet at west point who had been suspended turned back a year um was socially um relatively isolated socially because of because of that experience um i was doing well academically i was doing well uh, i was a division 1 athlete um, and I was doing well in a lot of ways, but, but I was struggling. Um, and I think I would tell myself that, um, I don't know that, you know, you're not going to believe this, uh, but this all counts. This all matters. And it's allowed to suck sometimes. Yeah, but but sometimes 
you know, sometimes that that experience is is what you're going to need to grow and you don't want to hear it now, but it's okay. Yeah, for sure. Let me ask you this. If you could see any event in human history with your own eyes, what would you love to see? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I love it. Um, in human history. So we're not, not like the Big Bang, not like... Well, uh, I mean, yeah, we could get into a spaceship. We, however we need to transport our <laughs> beings there, we can open this up. Yeah. I, ooh, gosh, I don't know. Um, okay. I don't know. Okay, that's okay. That's all right. It's a big, it's a big question. That's a big question, man. You know, I don't know if I want to be around for the dinosaurs. I'm not that fast. <laughs> I would get <laughs> snarled up. <laughs> so, um, so let me ask you this. Everyone out there has a perception of you. You have all these pockets of people that exist in your life. Yeah family, friends, clients, colleagues, but you're in control. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? But I, I think I'm absolutely a leader. Um, I think I'm absolutely um, an inspiration to some. Um, I think that I am thoughtful um, about important issues, about how people relate to each other, about how organizations work. Yeah, and I think I'm a, I think every now and then I'm funny. Uh, my wife doesn't always think so, but, uh, I think I'm, I think I can be funny. <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah. I, I, I sense the sense of humor. I'm always just so blown away with, with talking to lawyers. You all are so astute. You're so, I, I think I trust you more than I do doctors. You, and you all have these abilities and skills. Like I would never have known that you would have been a pilot. You know, mm-hmm. and there's all these things that go in. You have to be well learned. You have to have an acumen. You can't just pigeonhole yourself into one thing. You really have to have a broad based knowledge of how things work. I, I think that's true with 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 a with a moderate caveat. Uh, I think that some lawyers do get pigeonholed. Right. Um, it would and, and and on a professional level, I think that's okay. On a professional level, that deep expertise in a particular area can be really, really valuable. The challenge becomes, um, in, in my work with, with aspiring and rising leaders, the challenge becomes those things that make you really effective as a deep expert in a particular area of law can be the same things that, um, become a hurdle to being an effective leader because you, you get trained to do everything yourself. You get trained to, um, work without collaboration. And when you step into a position of responsibility, now, now all of a sudden you're asked to do things that you've never practiced. Yeah, for sure. So if anyone wants to hire you, learn more about you, anything about your world, where can they go? Yeah, they should definitely check out the website. It's bkgleadershipcoaching.com. Um, you can email me at ben at bkgleadershipcoaching.com. And if you're ready to talk about what leadership looks like for you, your law firm, your legal organization, your nonprofit, um, set up a, uh, a leadership strategy session with me. You can just book that on the website. Right on. Ben, this has been great. Thank you so much for opening up. Thanks for your story. I, I love it. 
Oh, Joe, this was a great conversation. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Music